I have God-fearing parents, uh, wonderful parents that God blessed me with. Um, and I grew up in the church. Uh, at a very young age, I was I prayed with my father in my bedroom to receive Christ. And uh, not long after that, I felt a tug and went down front uh, to, to confess uh, God received Christ uh, before the church. Um, and and went on and, and tried to be a good boy, uh, tried to respect authority, tried to follow the rules, uh, tried to do the right things. I don't know if I had discipleship available to me or not. Uh, I know I was given a book to go through, but I didn't didn't go through it, didn't walk through it, uh, didn't really find myself spending a lot of time in the Word, uh, and went on with life and fell into things that uh, just, just fell into things that I shouldn't have fallen into. God always kept His hand on me. Uh, always watched out for me, always kept me close to somebody that was with him, uh, that could tutor me and teach me, uh, even though I wasn't spending a lot of time in the Word. And through that eventually brought me back into the church. Uh, I remember coming into the church and I came once. I didn't really, yeah, at the time, didn't feel like I felt the Spirit came twice, didn't feel like I felt the Spirit the third time. I remember the pastor saying, I'm taking the gloves off and I'm giving you what I've got. Uh, and I, I knew this was where I was supposed to be. Uh, and, and there, uh, I started to be discipled, started to be raised up. But there was a time, uh, just having conversation with God, I, you know, I felt like I was constantly struggling uh, in legalism, trying to keep the law. And I finally just said, God, you know, I can't do this. If it's going to happen, it's going to be you. Uh, only you can do this for me. Only Jesus. Uh, and I. Around that time, not long after that, or not right before it, uh, God got me involved with a great ministry, started to grow me, uh, met my wife in the church, uh, found myself in a ministry in the church, and uh, it's been not the same since. My name is William Flagg, and my identity is in Christ. My favorite, my favorite line in that, amen. My favorite line that he said was, I can't, but God can. Amen? I think that's where all of us are at. So I want to share with you how the Lord kind of put this message on my heart today. Uh, these monitors are real hot. Uh, I think that's how you say they're loud. I've always wondered. <laughs> um, thank you all. You know, I've been preparing, and, and I, I'm always preparing, I'm always working on my message, and thought I had everything ready, and I went to bed last night, and I asked the Lord to wake me up early. Uh, in my prayer, I said, Lord, just, just help me to get up early so that I can get my mind ready tomorrow, as I, I believe that Sunday morning is my Super Bowl, um, every Sunday morning, right, and Wednesday night. Well, the Lord woke me up at 1.30 this morning, and I said, Lord, I... I said early, but I didn't know it was going to be 1.30. And uh, I just wrestled for a long time. Finally, the, finally I, the Lord won. He always does. And I got up, and I just began just to write. And I just began to, the Lord just began to speak. And it's so interesting. Brother Ed just got up here and talked about the Christ-like life, the Christ life and, and living Christ-likeness. And that's what the Lord just began to pour out onto my heart. Now, many of you weren't here for our first service this morning. Because I woke up so early, 
I decided to come up here and I preached. And I'll tell you, um, that audience was, was uh, very difficult. I didn't hear any amens or any shouts. Uh, there was nobody here. And I just preached. I just got up here and I just let what the Lord was putting on my heart just come out. And I just spoke as if this place was full, even though there was nobody in here. And I recorded it and it was 28 minutes long. Some of y'all are like, praise the Lord, it's a miracle. I'm also not wearing the boot today, and I have a shoe on, amen, which also means the message will be short. Uh, I'm kind of kidding. (laughs) But the Lord woke me up this morning and just put this on my heart, and so I, I just ask as we go to the Lord in prayer and that you would just have ears that you may hear and receive the word that God is speaking to us this morning. As we read the scripture, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask that we stand as I read the scriptures. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. And at the end, after I read, I love when people say, this is the word of God for the people of God, and then your response is, praise be to God. Philippians 3, 7 through 21 will also be up on the screen. It says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay a hold of that for which I was also laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard in which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that he, has even to, that he has even to subject all things to himself. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. 
I don't know about y'all, but I love reading scripture with the body of Christ. I was getting Holy Ghost goosebumps the whole time I was reading that scripture. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray right now that this message, this preaching, this teaching is not in persuasive words of wisdom, but on the demonstration of the power so that our faith would rest on you and you alone, O God. Lord, my words can't save anybody, but praise God by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that those who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, it says they shall be saved. And so, Lord, we rest on that today. We praise your holy, holy, holy name. God, put me on the front row and just speak, O Lord. Breathe out the breath of God this morning and just let it be all of you. I'm just a vessel. It's all for you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I preached Philippians chapter 3 many times in my life, but I've never really preached Philippians 3, 17 to the end, and that's where we're going to be today. I want to start by kind of sharing with you a story. When I lived in Peoria, Illinois, I, I used to love to rock climb. That was previous being married. Uh, something happened, I got married, and now I don't rock climb anymore. Um, but I used to love to rock climb, and in doing so, one of the things in, in rock climbing was that there was always a lead climber. If you would go out, somebody would lead climb up, and what they would do is they would take the rope, and they would connect it to different carabiners up all the way to the top, which would ultimately give the belay rope, the rope that would be secured to the climbers that would keep them from falling. Now, the lead climber, it was a little bit dangerous because until they got to each carabiner, they would free fall to the next one if they fell. But it was safe in of itself. But one of the things that the, that the Lord has showed me through that lead climber was this. is not only was that lead climber there to create and put that rope up, but it was also there to show the path that you are to take up the side of that mountain. To direct and to show that path of the, the easiest way through, the best way up. You know, if you went and you wanted to rock climb and somebody was sitting on the top and you never saw how they got up there and they're yelling at you, just get up here. Just get up here. And you're sitting here saying, okay, I'm looking at, I'm trying, you know, I want to find the best route. But they keep yelling, you would get frustrated after a while because they're at a place that you're wanting to figure out how to get there, but you didn't see how they got there. What we see here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this, Brethren, join in following my example. I believe that in the scripture, Paul is telling us, Hey, I have been that lead climber running after the kingdom of God, and I'm giving you that example for you to follow, to see, to be guided through as you continue forward in Christ. Now, some people may say, David, you know, this seems a very arrogant statement for Paul to say, hey, follow me. Um, you know, we don't just walk around and say, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to be like me. I want you to follow this. But Paul Basically, in chapter 3, tells us in verses 12 and 13, both times he says, Hey, I haven't, I haven't obtained perfection. I haven't obtained the goal. Look in, in verse 12. It says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. In verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet. 
So, so we'll get to what it is in just a second, but Paul is ultimately telling us, hey, I'm asking you to follow me because I'm following Christ. Paul's ultimately saying, hey, listen, I'm running after the king. I'm pressing on to the upward calling, and I'm asking you to follow that example and also others who are following that example of Christ. So what is he pressing on to? We see in verse 13 and 14, he says, The one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I press on to the upward calling. I press on to the upward calling. What is that upward calling? It's to live a life that is Christ-like. It's the new self that we saw last week in Ezekiel 36, that Jesus, that God gives us a new heart at salvation. We saw in Ezekiel 36 that when God gives us a new heart, He places His Spirit within us. And when He places His Spirit within us, it will cause us, this is Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, it will cause us to walk accordingly to His ordinances, to His law. And so Paul's saying, hey listen, I continue to press on. I'm pressing on every day. And, and, and what that is, I'm pressing on to Christ's likeness, it's perfection. He's saying, I haven't hit perfection. So I'm not saying I'm perfect, so follow me. No, instead he's saying I'm imperfect, but I'm chasing after, I'm pushing forward, I'm following Jesus, seeking after perfection in my life, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory, him through me. And he says, hey, fo- follow me. You know, we see Jesus say in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, we see Jesus tell uh, in the scripture, he says, hey, listen, I want you to understand that, that you will, uh, when I walk through suffering, that, that also you will walk through those footsteps that you will follow after me. We see in John 21, after the resurrection, Peter, Peter goes, and, and y'all know the story, God, Jesus says to him, hey, do you love me? He says, yes, you know, tend my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. A third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter begins just to weep because he had asked him a third time and he said, you know all things. Yes. But then Jesus says this, he says in verse 19, he says, follow me, follow me. So what we see here is is that Paul is saying, hey, I haven't obtained it. I haven't obtained perfection. I am continually forward, moving forward, pressing on to the upward calling of Jesus Christ every day. And I'm asking that you too would follow my example. And then it says in verse 17, it says, And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. But there's something else that we see about Paul's life here that I want to to, to show you in this. You know, Paul, back in the book of Acts was persecuting the church. His name was Saul then. His name was actually Saul and Paul then. He had two names. But we always think of Saul being before and Paul being after. But here, Saul, Paul, he's persecuting the church. And he's on his way on the road to Damascus and something happens. Now, I won't just say something happens. Let me just tell you, he had a divine appointment with holy God. Amen? And God showed up. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Saul's life in that moment is transformed for the glory, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, Saul has a new heart. The Holy Spirit, because it came in Acts 2 at Pentecost, dwells within Paul. And his life is radically transformed and changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me just say this for a moment. You're not going to have transformational change in your life until the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Let me just say that again. You will not have transformational change in your life until the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit will come to dwell within you and tabernacle within you, as we talked about last week, when you fall on your face, humble yourself before God, and, and, and admit that you're a sinner, and ask and seek God for forgiveness of your sins. Praise God for Jesus. I love I love Romans 5.8. I almost mention it every Sunday morning. It says, Christ demonstrated his love for us that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. I can't get over that. This morning, I told you I was up here way early preaching to uh, an empty room, but man, I felt like there was a, a, a thousand people in here. But I watched the sunrise this morning over the church, sitting in the back parking lot. And I was just reminded of God's amazing love for me that he keeps all of this in order, right? He's holding it all together. The sun comes up every morning and sets every evening. And here, I sat out here in the parking lot. You know, the Lord spoke to me. I'll take a little rabbit trail for just a second. But the Lord spoke to me as I was sitting out there because all the lights were on. And they started going off because the sun was coming up, right? Because they're on a sensor, and what the Lord spoke to me was, is that, that when we get to heaven, there ain't no need for no light. Because Jesus is the light. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, will radiate. And as the sun came up, that was the only light that was around me after about 6.15 when all the other lights went out. And all of a sudden it was just the sun and it was just so beautiful. God's creation, uh, that, was, that was a little extra there. Um, But Paul has a transformational moment. He's changed by the power of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within him. And we see, we see the action of change in his life. Paul's not the same person before the the road to Damascus. Paul is not the same person. He's been transformed by the glory of God. But we see in Philippians 3 what else happened in Paul's life. Paul came fully surrendered to God. Fully surrendered to God. For Paul, God was enough. Now let's not say was. He is enough. God is enough. So here's what Paul says. You know, in verses 1 through 6, which we didn't read earlier, Paul's giving his his understanding of who he was. But then in verse 7 he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Listen, I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, At the point of salvation, all of our assets become a liability. Now what this pastor was saying is all these things that we had accumulated previous to salvation, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, they're all God's. But the reason he said that, that, that it's a liability is because it's so easy for us to try to hang on and hold tight to all these different things. 
And that's what Paul was saying. Man, I got saved. It radically changed everything. Like, don't come to me and say, David, I got saved and it changed half my life. Don't come to me and say, David, I got saved and it changed this portion of my life. But, but when it comes to business, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my material possessions, it didn't change me at all. That's, that's still mine. That's not God's. You ain't been changed. Because when God comes and enters your life, He takes control of our whole life. Every bit of it. Now, we wrestle with that. Romans talks about it. We see it in Galatians, the fight between the flesh and the spirit. We wrestle with that all the time. Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do, I don't do, or I don't want to do. We see that wrestle. But ultimately, at the point of salvation, Paul's saying, hey, everything that I once held dear, everything that I thought was me accumulating for my family and for my life, at the point of salvation, none of it mattered. Because all that mattered was that Jesus Christ loved me enough that he went to the cross and died for me, for my salvation. Can you imagine if we would live our life every day that the only thing that mattered in our life was the fact that our salvation of Jesus, that Jesus has saved us, that all these other temporal things don't matter at all? That's what Paul's saying. And let me tell you something. The book of Romans tells us nothing can take us away from the love of God. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let me, let me just tell you, nothing, nothing can take away your salvation. Nothing. Nothing. I don't know about y'all, but, but we need to do I mean, that, that should make you rejoice. There is nothing that this world can do to you to take away what Jesus paid for on the cross. There's nothing that this culture can say to you. There's nothing that they can take away from you that could ever take away your salvation, your identity, which is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing. So we're secure in Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, at the point of, of salvation, my life was radically changed. I've surrendered everything to God, and God is enough. Not only is God enough, but God is fully satisfying to me. God satisfies every bit of me, every bit that I need. He satisfies just my intimate relationship of knowing Christ is so satisfying. Can I tell you that when you're fully satisfied in Christ, there's no room for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When your heart is so fully satisfied in Christ, there's no room for these things of this world to, to, to get into your heart. So we must live and say, hey, we're fully surrendered that everything that we have in life, everything that God has blessed us with, it's His. And it says in the scripture, God gives and God takes away. And y'all finish the verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So can we rejoice, brothers and sisters, in Christ, knowing that salvation is, is more important than anything else in our life and nothing can take it away from us? Nothing. All these temporal things, sure. 
All the temporal things that, that, that we hold so dear, sure, but we don't need to hold those. They don't need to have a hold on us because we've surrendered completely to God. And that's what Paul's saying. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. And then I love verse 8. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So what is Paul pursuing? What is the example that he wants you to follow? He wants you to follow pursuing Christ with all your heart. To know Christ with all your heart. To know him intimately. And you say, David, how, how do I get to know Christ? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Genesis through Revelation tells us all about Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, it tells us that we're in need of a Savior. It tells us that He's coming at some point, and there's a long, expectant waiting. And I'll tell you what, I love the Old Testament. Love it. Love it. Can't get enough of it. But I love the New Testament, too. Then you go to the Gospels, and it, it's Jesus comes in the flesh. The Son of God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see the life of Christ the suffering, we see the, the death, but praise God, Sunday came, right? We see the resurrection of Christ. And then we go to the book of Acts, and we see the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling within people, Acts 2. And we see Christ's likeness and what happens within us, the church is born. Then we go to the epistles and we see the new self. We see how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christ life. And then praise God, I know some of y'all are excited because it talks about in Revelation that all of it in Christ is going to be summed up one day. And let me tell you, I've read the end of the book. Not only does God win, but all those who have, been, uh, all those who have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we all win. There's coming a day where there will be no more tears. There's coming a day there will be no more pain, praise God. And we will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. And can I just tell you all one other thing? There's a lot of things, there's a lot of questions I cannot wait to ask when I get to heaven. I got a lot of questions. But can I just tell you, I don't think I'll ever ask one. Because I can't even fathom for eternity to look at my Savior's face. To see the one who paid for my sin upon the cross. I don't even know if I'll be able to look. I think I'll be on my face before him. There's a lot of reasons why I can't wait for heaven. But let me tell you something. Heaven is heaven because that's where Jesus is. And so what's going to be heaven to us is the fact that we get to be with Jesus, to God the Father. We get to be with them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I cannot wait, praise God. And I'm telling you, I'm going to do everything I can to bring as many people with me. I'm going to share with everybody. I'm not afraid to offend anybody. Listen, Satan's got them blinded. And I'm going to do everything to share the gospel, the transformational power with people so that their eyes will be open, that they'll see Jesus and they'll fall on their face and seek forgiveness for their sins. Paul says, brethren, follow my example and observe those who walk. We must walk out our faith 
We must live out our belief, our conviction. We must walk it out every day. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 tells us to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. You know, the word Christian means Christ follower. Paul's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm a Christ follower. And so when we put the name of Christ on us, people are watching how we're going to walk it out. I mean, everybody in this world claims Christianity, seems like. That's not true, but, but it sure feels like everywhere I turn, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian, especially down here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I'm going to tell you, there's a difference between somebody who just says I'm a Christian and a born-again believer who is living out their faith in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between somebody who just says, I'm a Christian and everything's good, and somebody that, that truly has repented of their sins and has been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. And I'll tell you, I'm tired of people claiming Christ and not living for Him. Let me say that again. I'm sick and tired of people claiming Christ and not living for Him. Do you not realize that people who claim Christ but don't live for Christ is sharing a false gospel through the actions of their life. They're saying, hey, just, just all you got to do is, is, is do this or do that, and then you can live whatever life you want. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit don't work that way. When the Holy Spirit gets inside of some dead bones, those dead bones come to life. If you don't believe me, go to Ezekiel 37. Man, that wind started coming. Let me tell you something. Those bones came to life. When the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody and they believe and trust in Jesus, their Lord and Savior, there is transformation. John 15 says that he who abides in me will bear much fruit. And that fruit is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit coming forth from our lives. But Paul talks about it here in verse 18. He says, follow my example. Be fully surrendered to God. Don't let these temporal things of this world have a hold on you. He says, press on every day. He says, I look forward. Nobody drives looking in the rear view mirror. If you drive focused in on the rear view mirror, I don't want to ride with you. But we look in the rear view mirror as a glance back. So we remember where we've been. But we don't drive looking backwards the whole time. Paul says, I press on. I move forward for the kingdom of God every day. Satan wants us as believers to be stuck in our past. But let me tell you something. The reason that I get so frustrated with that is because Jesus Christ died that you could be set free from your past. Every one of us has been set free from our past by the blood of the Lamb. May we not live there anymore. May we go forth for the kingdom of God to set other people free by the power of God. But Paul says, hey, in verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God, little g, is their appetite. Can I interpret that? Whose God is their own personal desire. 
what I want, the way I want it, my preferences. It's all about me. He says here, he says, they walk according to the world. It says, who set their minds on earthly things. Now, this is very difficult. I'm telling you, it's even more difficult when you're waking up at 1.30 in the morning. That's what the Lord gives you. But this is very difficult. Because Paul is saying here, there is a transformational difference between somebody who is a born-again believer and somebody who just professes Christ and continues to live for the world. And he's saying, don't follow, don't follow the enemies of the cross. Don't follow people who tell you just all you got to do is say you're a Christian and you can live like hell every day. I love that saying that says, is what you're living for worth God, Jesus, dying for? He says here, beware. He says, he says, for many. It didn't say a few. It says many, which reminds me of Matthew 7. I believe it's verse 13. It says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. It says, broad is the road, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And Paul said, hey, don't follow that example Follow me as the lead climber. I've walked through it. I think that the reason that the epistles, we have so many of Paul's writings, because we see the transformational power in Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're able, he's like our lead climber. Paul's walked through everything. Like, he's climbed the mountain before us. If we stay in this word, we can see how to deal with every circumstance and situation by the power of God. We see the example here. Through Paul's life. He's gone before us. He's he's written about it. That's the reason why in Philippians 4, just one page over for for you and your Bibles, the most misquoted scripture in the Bible is Philippians 4.13. It's football season again. You'll probably see it everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you go before that, you see that Paul says, I've lived, I've learned to live in great times, in prosperous times. I've learned to live with nothing. He said, but I am content in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's saying, listen, when you go through difficult times, when you go through hard times, God's still enough. The world's saying, no, when you go through difficult times, it's all about you. You've got to fix the problem. You've got to take care of it. You've got you, you to go deal with all this. And God's saying, no, I'm enough. Paul's saying, do it God's way, not the world's way. Follow me as I follow Christ. He even told Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, he said that you don't have a spirit of Uh, Let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. What does it say? Show yourself an example. Paul's saying, hey, you got to follow this example because I'm following Christ. Don't follow the example of the world. Our faith in God, God is big enough in every situation and circumstance because we've already surrendered it all to him. We've already laid it all down on the altar. It's all God's anyways. There's no circumstance, there's no situation that's too big for you because it's not about you, it's about the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And he says, don't follow the example of the world. In 
verse 20 and 21, we see that our citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. So why do we follow Christ? Why do we follow Christ? Why are we putting on the new self? Why are we uh, persevering? Why are we pushing forward every day? Because there's going to come a point that we will be transformed, the body of our humble state, into the conformity with the body of His glory. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why do I follow Christ? Because He's the only way. Why do I follow Jesus? Because He's the only way to the Father. People tell me all the time, David, there's multiple ways to heaven. David, there's multiple ways to heaven. And I said, okay, if that's the case, then Jesus is a liar because he said he's the only way. And I said, not only that, but why would God send his son to die if there was other ways that people could have gone? I said, so don't give me that mess, whatever you want to say. Don't, give me, don't, don't tell me that there's multiple ways. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No other way to the Father except through Jesus. So that's why we follow. That's why we follow him is because we understand that that we're following a leader. We're we're following him to the Father to, to know God, to know Jesus, and to be with him forever and ever and ever. Now I could end the message right there. But that wasn't what God ultimately woke me up for. As I woke up this morning, the question continued to come. If somebody followed you, if somebody followed you or somebody followed me, would they be led to the cross or would they be led to the world? And I don't know about y'all, but that is a painful thought. If somebody followed your life, would your life lead them to Jesus? Or would it lead them to the altar of yourself? And then the Lord took me to a scripture in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 14, it says this, But Jesus said, Let the little children alone. And do not, if you feel comfortable writing your Bible, circle this, do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. For those in this room who've ever had children, have they ever come home and done something and you say, where in the world did you learn that? Yeah, that nervous laughter is, y'all had that at home. We won't, I mean, it just, you're like... Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn it? Because they, they saw it. They saw it from somebody. They watched and observed somebody do it. Whatever that was. When my son was two and a half, three years old, just old enough to talk, my son, for some strange reason said daddy turn on the golf channel which as a dad I'm like that's awesome that my two-year-old is telling me to turn on the golf channel and not cartoons and so we turned on the golf channel I didn't realize what was happening 
But what was happening is my son was watching every single move. Everything. So one day I saw him at the house and he just kept being like this. And I was like, for those who are golfers in the room, you already know what what happened here. But I'm like, man, like, Sam, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to figure out the lay of the of the hardwood because he had turned he had turned the whole house into his putting green it still is pray for us you know what I'm actually going to ask him to come up here for a second Sam come up here will you run up here to dad come here bub slowly come down these steps you can go faster than that there you go hey bub Now, I want it, my son, and I really want it, every child that I could get to be up here. He's got a golf shirt on. I didn't even know that. Hey, we'll pray for you, Bob. But he watched every move of it, and he started emulating it. Like, in everything that he could do, he wanted to, he just, he wanted to emulate it. And I bring him up here so that you can see his face. And I want you to think of every child that's represented in this room right now. They're watching us. They're watching us to see if our faith is real. When we walk through difficult times, and listen, I'm not saying my son's only watching me. I'm saying he's watching all of us. All of us. We're the body of Christ together for the kingdom of God. We run together in biblical community. All of our children that were at VBS, all the children that are here, their eyes are watching us. And my question to each one of us And I understand that each child has to make a choice on how they will go. But as they watch us, and as they see our faith unfold, not in words, because we can stand here and raise our hand and sing songs all day long. And we need to. I think the second most commands in the scripture is to sing. Praise God, I love singing. I sang from 1.30 till 8 o'clock this morning. But the question is, do we point them by our lives? Because they're watching every moment of our life. The way that Sam was emulating the golf, and you can go back over there to mom. You did great, bub. The way that he would emulate that, she's that way, there you go was because he was intently watching. The scripture in Matthew 19 says, do not hinder them from coming to me. And I'm going to tell you what, my son has, has to make a choice. My daughter has to make a choice. And I pray to God that they come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying for it all the time. But let me tell you something. I'm going to do everything I can to continue to be that which they can follow, which is that going after the king. And so the question is for all of us in here today, 
It's not just kids that are watching. The world is watching to see if our faith is real. The world wants to know, hey, you, you claim that, that you sing these praise and worship songs that, that God is enough and, and He's bigger than, than everything. But then if the culture threatens us, if we become fearful and scared and worried, no, we gotta, we got to say, listen, what we sing is true. What we read is true. God is bigger. And I'm not going to back down. Because there's nothing that this world can do to me. Because I'm already bought by the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing that this world can take from me because it's already been given to God. And in reality, if they take something from me, they're actually taking it from God because I've already given it to Him. It's already His. So my question to us as I woke up at 1.30 this morning, God said, David, do you... Ask each person, do we live the transformed life that when the world sees us, they say, man, whatever God, because they don't know, whatever God that person serves is real. And then praise God, the scripture says, be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. And when somebody sees us walking according to the word and God being enough, they say, I want to follow you where you go. And I say, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. Will you come with me to the cross? And when the trials and tribulations of life come flooding at us, God's still enough. And when people say, how do you have joy in the midst of the suffering and the pain? I say, because I'm secure in Jesus and nothing can take that away from me. And when we go through amazing times in life, people say, why do you have so much joy? I can say, because my joy is not on good times and bad times. My joy is in Jesus because he saved my soul. I once was destined to hell, but praise God, by the blood of the Lamb, he transformed my life. So I'm going to ask this question, and then we're going to close. Does our life represent the transformational power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us? When people see us and when they watch us and when they follow us, where does our actions of our life take them? Does it take them to the cross? Or does it take them to the altar of ourself? And let me remind you, the only reason that I can lead and you can lead to the cross is because we know him and because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. It's nothing that we did or could do. It's everything that Jesus did in his transformational work on the cross by paying for our debt on the cross.